Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. Uh, we're moving along now. Uh, chapter 1 and, and 2 of Genesis are both complementary of each other as opposed to giving two conflicting views as some claim. When you go to some of these liberal schools, uh, you'll find them trying to disprove that Moses is the writer of chapter 1 and chapter 2, and they bring all these different arguments, which I'll show you a few of them uh, this morning, and it's the simple fact is they don't want an authoritative God. And they don't want to surrender to, a, 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 you know, a, a, they want to surrender to themselves and not to God. That's the bottom line. So chapter one gives us an overview of creation covering the events of the six days. Chapter two revisits the events on the sixth day, giving us the details of the creation of humanity here we see the distinction man has to animals and the unique relationship man has to the creator. So let us begin now here in Genesis chapter uh, 2, verses 1 through 3. But before we do, let's pray. And so, Father, we thank you again for this special time that we set apart just to hear from you, to hear your spirit speak to our hearts and your word that declares life and truth. And so we pray that you would speak to us, that you would draw us to you this afternoon, even now, as we're considering your words, and that we would leave change, Lord. Then we would be, Lord, we would be more attentive to your voice. Lord, that we would be altered far greater in a way than when we came in through those doors. And we plead with you, Jesus, to show more of yourself to us in Jesus' name, amen. Genesis chapter 2, verse 1 through 3 begins with, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Now, just so that you know that really verses 1 and 3, 1 through 3, belong to the first chapter. Uh, the chapter breaks were put in later on in time. In fact, it was by a man by the name of Stephen uh, Langton, uh, the Archbishop of Canterbury. In AD 1227, he began to write those chapter breaks. And later on, uh, the uh, began to, later on Nathan uh, in, began to do the verses in 1448. Uh, and then in 1555, uh, Stephanus, Robert Estein, uh, began to do the New Testament for us. So sometimes the chapter breaks and the verses, they just don't, they're, they, they're not fitting very well. And this is the case here. These first three verses really belong in chapter 1 
Because it's a closeout story. It's just an introductory uh, to the first seven days. The first day, the second day, the third day, uh, the fourth day, the fifth day, sixth day, seventh day, God rested. And so that should have been all included there in chapter one. Now, God didn't rest because he was tired. Isaiah 40, 28 makes that clear. Do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. And so he rested to give mankind a pattern to follow, that we would work hard for six days and that we would rest on the seventh day. Um, You know, I I think of the uh, French Revolution. They tried to change that to a 10-day week. Uh, They were unsuccessful. The reason why? God set it up for seven days. And so, by the way, all over the world, it's seven days. In Nepal, they work their hearts out for six days, and on the seventh day, they rest. And so, uh, the seventh day always landed on Saturday. The first work day is always Sunday. So in Nepal, uh, they, everybody takes their time off on Saturday. And so the church meets on Saturday, which is nice because they fulfill some of the Jewish intent of what God uh, gave to the, in a covenant to the Jewish people. By the way, there is the Seventh-day Adventists, a few others that tell you you need to worship on the seventh day. Have you heard of that? Which is Saturday, and they tell you if you aren't, then you're, you're, uh, you're sinning, uh, which is uh, hogwash. Uh, and so I just want to say that. The, the reason for that is because um, anytime you want to mix in something into the, what Jesus did on the cross, his blood is sufficient. It is sufficient to cover your sins. It's sufficient to allow you to enter heaven. So anytime you want to add something to what Jesus did on the cross, it's heretical. So you're saved. You're going to heaven because you received Jesus and you keep the seventh day. No, that's heretical. Oh, you're saved because you got baptized. No, heretical. You got, you're saved because I'm in, I joined this denomination or I speak in tongues or whatever. No, you're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ and him alone. Those other things are just hogwash when it comes to your salvation. And so to add a day onto what Jesus did on the cross is just baloney. Um, let me read you a couple of these and I'll just, I don't want to spend too long on this, but I already have. So Colossians 2, 16, 17 says this, therefore do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regards to religious festival, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Those were the shadow. Christ was the substance. Christ fulfilled all those. And so we, we, we don't need to observe those things for our salvation. In fact, Paul the Apostle writes in Galatians chapter 4, verse 9 through 11, to people who began to go back to the old system for their salvation. He says, no, no, no. He says, 
But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable principles? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that, that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. You know, don't add anything to what Christ did on the cross. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9 through 11 speaks of our rest. It's found in Jesus. The author says this, There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter the rest, so that no one will fall uh, by following uh, their example of disobedience. So again, Paul is saying our rest, or the author of Hebrews saying our rest is found in Christ Jesus. Um, remember that as time progresses, God makes a covenant with the Israelites and they become the nation of Israel uh, and they become Jews, you know, through the birth of, of, of a nation, through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, you know, there. And we see that. And then God makes specific covenants with them. And these covenants, one of them is keeping the Sabbath day holy. Set it apart for me. Show the world you're different because you're going to tell the world about me. There's a lot of covenants that are made in the Bible with the nation of Israel that are not for us. Christian, there are churches that have taken the promises that are found in places in the Old Testament that don't belong to the church. An example of that is in Deuteronomy 28, the blessings and cursings of Israel. If you obey me, God says, you will receive health and wealth, right? So the church today says we can be wealthy and we can be healthy, never get sick. Wrong. That's a covenant that God made with Israel. Not for the church. You won't find that anywhere in the New Testament. In the New Testament, we just receive, we believe and receive. Now, I wish that I would be wealthy and healthy, and anybody that has any solutions, I would love to. And, and I pray for that in, but you know. The, the, so this is the thing. How can you determine which verses are for you as the church and which verses are those for the Jews? It's easy. It's in the epistles in the New Testament when you're reading after the, the Gospels, all that you, every promise that's made there is for us. So it says that Jesus will never leave you nor forsake you. You find that in the Old Testament. You also find that in the book of Hebrews. That's for us. Let's hold on to that. Let's hold on to those verses that are verifiable in the epistles. And that's how you know in the ones that come from the Old Testament, slide over into the New Testament as they're, they're being explained for us in the church. So don't grab on to things that don't belong to you. The covenant of the Sabbath day is for the Jews. Now, if you're in Nepal, you get to worship on Saturday, just like the Jews do, did of that time. So, uh, and by the way, it, it, you know, Jesus really cleared it up and said, listen, are not the priests working on the Sabbath day when they circumcise the child on the eighth day that lands on Saturday? I mean, he really called them out. And, and this is the thing, we have people in, in, in public service, policemen, nurse, you know, doctors, and they have to work on Saturday and Sunday. So their day off is a different day. 
And, I, and that's what the whole Genesis story here of the rest day is all about. Find that one day and rest. It's restful for the soul, the, the body, mind, and soul. That's, it really is. And so that's what God has set up as a pattern. So now let's move on now here in verse 4. It says, this is the account. And really, this is where chapter 2 should have began. It says there, this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth. No plant of the field had yet sprung up. Now, verse 5 is, is, is an interesting verse because of how the translators wrote it. It says there in verse 5, no shrub of the field had yet appeared. I just want to give you a heads up because this is where they say, oh, there's a contradiction. Remember in day, uh, day three in chapter one, there were shrubs. And here there's none. So a contradiction. Well, we'll answer that in a minute. No contradiction. No shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth. No plant of the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent the rain on the earth, and there was no man to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. So it's a common question by skeptics on why there appears to be two different creation stories, one found in Genesis chapter 1 and the other in chapter 2. And the answer is simple. Uh, they are not different stories. They're the same. Chapter 1 is a brief overview of the day of creation, while chapter 2 gives us a focus and more detailed description of the creation of man and woman. In chapter 1, we find just the simplest review of what God did on each of the days of creation. And chapter 2 focuses in, focuses, did I get that right? Focus on day 6. So that's the difference. So no problem. By the way, you know, this apparent contradiction is not a real problem. It's just translation. Uh, in the Hebrew, the way it's written here in our NIV, and if you just turn there to Genesis 2 verse 5, you can see there it says, and I, you know, it says, now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth. So the translator wrote this version, which is true. It's a true version. And no plant had yet sprung up for the Lord. God had not sent rain on the earth and there was no one to work the ground. When I first read this, I thought back to day three and how God had all these plants growing. And here on day six, there are no plants. Although this is a legitimate reading of the Hebrew text, the more literal reading follows. I took this from the New English translation. Look at the difference here. And you're going to wonder, well, why didn't they use this translation? Yeah, why? That's the same thing I ask. Listen to what it says. Verse, verse uh, 5 here, it goes, Now no shrub of the field had yet grown on the earth. And no plant of the field had yet sprouted, for the Lord God had, caused, had not caused it to rain on the earth, and there was no plan to cultivate it. Notice I put the Hebrew word next to shrub there, siak. That word there in the Hebrew is not found anywhere in chapter 1. So what is it saying? It's saying that this is a different seed. A lot of experts say this is the garden variety seed the one that needs to be cultivated and watered. Now know that there's no rain at this particular time. The rain doesn't start until the Noah, the, uh, when Noah and the flood scene comes on. But here, 
man takes the seed and he begins to cultivate it and then pours water on it, it begins to grow. So this is the idea. The seed has always been there. It was there at day three of creation. So, no, uh, you know, I always wonder why don't they use the New English translation when they're, quote, uh, when they're referring to it in the other uh, scriptures or the other uh, translations. I don't know why, I, I, you know, but I, I think when they're writing it, I think like, at least this is, I'm going to try to answer for them, if that's all right with you. I think this, since day three it says all shrubs was created, who would be foolish enough to think that when I'm writing about it in chapter two, that there was no shrubs. <laughs> That's, so I'm going to write it according to a text that I, uh, that I believe the Hebrew is declaring. So that's what I think is happening here. But again, the critics, the unaware, the new believer, he's reading it and he doesn't understand that there's another translation for that. And so they get caught up. Just spent way too much time on that, but just for you to know, you know, that there are critics who always want to undermine the authority of God's word. What you have is an amazing book in your hand, and don't let anyone undermine it. Verse 7 says this, it says there uh, that the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now we talked about this uh, the spirit, um, the soul, and the body, uh, the three uh, parts of the human body, or the human, uh, the, 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 the unity of the human uh, person, these three elements here. And, I ta- and we, we taught about it uh, last Sunday in great detail. Um, if you weren't here, uh, you can go to the app and hear that uh, message. Um, you can also see it on YouTube as well. And I just, I, I talked, I just spoke a lot about th- how that works together uh, and so, and how God formed it from the earth. Now, it's interesting, and, and I just want to say this, that, you know, the elements found in the human body are all found on earth's crust. This is amazing because what the Bible says perfectly matches scientific composition of the human body. We came from the dirt. Now, of course, they want to tell you you came from some space dust. Really? Come on now. All right. All right. Verse 8 goes on to say now, and now the Lord God planted a garden in the east, uh, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. And the Lord made all kinds of trees go around of uh, out of the ground, trees that were uh, pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So these two trees are introduced to us here. Uh, the tree of life is a fruit. If you eat of it, would cause you to live forever. Um, we will find that later on uh, in the book of Revelation, chapter 22, I believe, verse 2. Uh, when the flood came upon the earth, which doesn't happen here, but later on, it destroyed pretty much everything that we're reading about today. The rivers don't run the same way. Uh, the garden is no longer there. And this tree, the tree of life, is no longer there. But the tree of knowledge of good and evil, we'll refer to that uh, later on in our text. And so it says this now in verse 10. A river watering the gardens flowed from Eden. From there it separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is Fission. It winds through the entire land of Havela, 
where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Our aromatic resin and onyx also there. Uh, and the name of the second river is Gihon. It uh, winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is in Tigris. It runs along the east side of Ashur. And the fourth river is Euphrates. Um, always, we know that that river exists, but it's not the same flow anymore. Uh, when the worldwide flood occurred, it caused the directions of all these rivers to go a different route. And so the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work and take care of it. Notice, to work and take care of it. He could water it and cause uh, and, and to cultivate it and cause growth. And the Lord commanded man, you are freely to eat uh, from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be uh, alone. I will uh, be a help. Uh, I will make a helper suitable for him. So the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Uh, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, referred to as the forbidden tree, is an interesting tree because we don't find it later on in heaven. And so it seems to be different. It, it seems not to have some kind of value given to the fruit. It just means that there's a purpose that was uh, for it was just a, 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 a free will choice, a test. To take of it and rebel or to uh, leave it alone and obey God and show, you, show the great love that he has for God in obeying God's word as well. And so, you know, there's, it doesn't seem like it has any other value. By the way, when, when, we, when we talk about death, it, it starts from here. It says here, the day that you eat of the fruit, you're, you surely you will die. When I travel around the world and I get to ask people, why do you think you die? Everybody dies, no matter what country you go. Everybody dies. What's the reason? And, and really, no one has a reason. They can examine your life and say, yeah, we, you know, we, we, we peak out at a certain age and we start to wind down and decay and we all die uh, eventually. Um, they, they, and they, they tell you why, but I say, no, 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 what sparks it? What causes that to uh, that that death value to be included into our life, and um, and they can't give an explanation. Then they always ask, "What do you think?" I like that, and I say, <laughs> "Let me tell you. Let me tell you how it all got started. Death wasn't a part of our lives at one time. We were made in perfect humanity, sinless, and you know, and 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 perfect in every area of our health." And, and no decay whatsoever. But God gave a man, gave one rule. By the way, one rule. Come on, Adam. What? <laughs> we, have, we have thousands of rules. I, I can't even plant an avocado tree in my yard without going to you know, the department there of Santa Rosa and letting them know that I'm planting a tree in my yard. You know, And so interesting. Uh, but anyway, it's, it's going way off. We have thousands of laws, but he had just one. One. And it wasn't a hard test. There was many trees just like it, same kind of fruit. It was just the tree, a test. The tree of knowledge of good and evil, referred to as the forbidden tree, was placed in the Garden of Eden, most likely on the sixth day. Its purpose appeared to have been twofold. The first and the most 
often considered purpose was to provide man with a choice to love and to serve God willingly or to rebel against God and reject the one prohibition God had given them. Uh, him, by the way, it specifically it's for Adam at this particular time, but Adam will pass on this law to his wife later on in the future. But uh, with, that, with that being said, let me say this, is that there are a few things that we're reading through that's given to Adam without his wife there. Notice that. God is, make, God is creating a portrait here. Don't miss this. The second person, going back to the, the prohibition that God had given them, the, the second reason, the cer- second purpose is less clear, but Genesis 2.9 points to a possible option. The verse describes all trees as being either pleasant to look at or good for food, while the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was certainly not good for Adam and Eve to eat because it would bring death. With the second purpose in mind, the popular view of the forbidden tree changes. It could have been described as a good simply because it had a purpose. What was the purpose? Well, the testing. The tree of knowledge of good and evil was not evil by its nature. The tree was not bad. There was nothing wicked about the tree. To claim this would imply that God created something evil which would contradict Genesis 1.31. The tree was not the source of sin. Man was. God gave man a very clear command in Genesis 2.17. Do not eat of the tree that's uh, in the middle of the garden. The day that you eat of it, you will simply, uh, you will die. The, com- the command was simple. Do not eat of the one particular tree. The consequences was equally clear. If a man ate, he would die. The fruit was not poisonous, evidenced by the fact in chapter 3 that Adam and Eve did not physically die soon after eating it. The tree was not the problem. Man was the problem. The fault for man falls and lies with Adam and Eve, not the tree. Listen, Adam is the head. He is he's the one that's authoritative, and he will decide our future. As the, as, the represent, as the head representer, uh, 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 he represents all mankind. So by what he does is going to affect humanity forever. Now, going back to that portrait, I, I just wanted you to see this, that God is, God is painting a portrait, and he does that, by the way. In, throughout the whole Testament, we're going to see beautiful portraits being painted by these amazing words here. But here's one that a lot of people don't like to speak and about for good reason, uh, and it's called headship. It's called order. God is creating order here, and so by creating order, He's not creating Eve until there's a few things being said and done. First, He creates man. Second, He gives man the command not to eat of the fruit of the tree. Third, creation is given to him. Fourth. The naming of all the animals is on Adam. Then, lastly, the woman is created from Adam. And the reason for this, and, and, and it's not uh, you know, news to us, it's something that Paul the Apostle picked up in chapter 2, verse 13. He says this, For Adam was formed first, and then Eve. In the context, he's talking about women not being pastors. Isn't that interesting? He doesn't say it's cultural, because that's what they want to tell you. It's cultural, 
No, he's saying it's creation. There's a reason why women can't be patterned. He gives the reason that's order. Now, I don't want to down you on this, but there's, a, there's order in all that God says and does. Listen to this. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. Now, I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of women is man, and the head of Christ is God. So even in the Godhead, there's order. Now, this is the only place that we have order on earth. When we're in heaven, we're all kings. There's no king and queens. <laughs> we're all kings in heaven. But on earth, God laid it down that there was order. You know, um, Peter, and, you know, and it's, it's, it's not a popular subject to speak about. People get highly offended. You know, and, and Peter goes on to say that women are the weaker vessel. Well, what do you mean you're, you know? And they get all excited with me. You know, I'm like, hey, hey, hey. I'm glad that the Olympics are going on right now. And the Olympics are divided man racing against men and women against women, right? Except now they let a trans man or whatever come in to do some weightlifting. And what are the women saying? Not fair. Wow. They're the weaker vessels on earth. But in heaven, it changes. Now, you know, it's funny when I travel around the world, the, the, my, they always say, hey, Pastor Bond, you teach second, First Timothy chapter 2. I'm like, no, I don't want to be the enemy of the women. You know, and they're like, no, I don't want to. No, no, you do a good job. No, you, you have a great way of putting it back to creation. No, I don't want to do it. And they're going, yes. And, and you know, and, and it's not a favorite thing to talk about. But God has laid it down, a perfect structure on earth. But he also says, you know, and, and the women and, and, you know, and people want to quote to me, well, you know, it says there there's no Greek, no Jew, no male or female. And they give me these verses and I say, that has to do with our salvation. Context, please. Context. In our salvation, there's no verses, there's no... You know, there's no order. Everyone is equal. But when you look at what God has laid down, there's strict orders. In the house and in the church, the men, the elders are running it. God did it. I didn't forget me for being the messenger. You know, don't shoot me. I, I, I'm just the messenger. Why do all the other churches have women pastors? I don't know. The same reason why a lot of these other churches allow uh, you know, why do they allow this garbage to be taught in their churches where they don't believe in the Trinity or the virgin birth? And I can go on and on and on. Why are they allowing that to be taught in the churches today? You know, that's, it's just corruption. But I'll be just flat out honest with you that God laid down an order. But men, you have to understand this. What God is laying out here is that he's going to bring us a helpmate that's going to help us perfectly in our lives. And that's where you learn to be equal. My wife is the better half by far. If you've spoken to my wife, you know that. You know? And, and she is amazing. You know? and, and she gives me wisdom. She gives me, I mean, I, I treat her as an equal partner in this whole ministry as well as my life. I'm the head. I get to make the final decision. But man, without, 
I make decisions based on her wisdom. You know, we came home one time from India, and uh, we, she was driving to a different place. We only had one car, and I didn't have a, another car, and I had to go to all these meetings. And so I said, hey, hon, I'm going to buy me a motorcycle. And she says, okay, you can buy you a motorcycle. <clears throat> what kind of motorcycle do you want? And I go, I want a Harley Davidson. <laughs> and she says, oh, she knows what a Harley Davidson. And she goes, well, well, what do you need a Harley Davidson for? And I said, well, it's just a big bike. It lets everybody know that you're there, you know. <laughs> so I don't become injured or hit, you know. And she's like, oh. She goes, um, how much does it cost? I go, oh, I don't know. I'll look it up. I knew how much it cost, and so does she. She's like, compared to other bikes, it's a higher value. And I said, um, and I go, uh, well, you know, I'll, I'll find one that's suitable. And she says, oh, um, why do you want just a Harley Davidson? And I said, well, it, it, it's a cool and a masculine bike. And she's like, hmm, why do you want to look cool and masculine? She goes, I already think you're cool and masculine. Why, why, why do you need to have that to make you look like you're cool and masculine? Um, uh, I don't need a bike after all, hon. You know, <laughs> you know that I need her to balance me out. And you're going to see that's why God created a beautiful woman out of the side of Adam. The equality there. Though there's order... There's equality. And by the way, I just want to, uh, I didn't get to say this in the second service. I feel sorry for him. <laughs> in the ministry, women, go for it. Go preach. Go evangelize. Go share the gospel. There's no hindrance. The only hindrance is being the head pastor of the church. That's it. Go do what you do. But when I want that position. <laughs> go out. Then go with me to go share the gospel all over there. You know, not to change the subject. <laughs> you know, go do it. Don't let anything hinder what God wants to do through your life. And so this is important as we look down at the order that God is placing. And so it goes on there in verse um, 19, it says this, Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that's what its name, or that, is, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was formed. So before Eve is created, he's given the rights to name every single animal, which is amazing. What a brilliant mind, right? Looking around, seeing this big old huge thing running around with a trunk, and he says, you're an elephant. Yeah, that's, that's what you will be. You'll be an elephant. And then, of course, he walks around, and he sees this one thing with a big old giant horn and huge as an elephant. He says, rhinoceros. That's what you'll be. Can you imagine? That's just brilliant. Just brilliant mind, just... Uh, the, the flowing of these giraffe. Come on, what a long neck. You're like, yeah, you'll be a giraffe, you know, or a horse. And of course, later on, we break down to zebras and other things. Can you imagine that piglet walking around? He goes, yeah, you'll be called a boar. That's what you're going to, a pig, you know, that's what you're going to be called, you know. Just brilliant. Just this mind, uh, thinking of all the, the dinosaurs and the different names those are, uh, it just, uh, this man was amazing, you know, and Eve was the same as well, just 
Uh, but God gave him the rights to name all these animals. And now this part is done with the naming of the animals. So he, he, you know, wait a minute, there's a couple other animals. Come on. Kangaroo? What do you, you know, he just sees it hopping, hopping, hopping. He sees this kangaroo. That's you are a kangaroo, you know. Penguin? Okay, verse 21, or verse 20, uh, yeah, it says, so the Lord God caused man, now he's going to work on his suitable helper. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So verse 21 says, so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one man's ribs and closed up the place with his flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he had that he had taken out of the man and he brought her to man. Now, in light of what we know about genetics and all that we know about science and cloning, it's easy for God to take that DNA, the genetic code right from the side of Adam and then make the woman from Adam. I mean, it's amazing. It says rib, but that's really the Hebrew word is that of the side, the side. So uh, we have a lot of jokes, right, from the rib. God took the rib out of the, the man and gave the woman, and we've been hurting ever since. Our sides have been hurting. Yeah. Oh, no, no, that's a bad one. Now, there, there's a lot more. I looked them up, by the way, and, uh, and I, was, I have a, a pastor in South Jersey, and we always, you know, text jokes, you know, to each other. Oh, my goodness. We, we laugh a lot. But anyways, we, I won't tell you anymore. Anyways, it goes on. <laughs> it says there, this, this is so beautiful, because it says this that God made this woman from his side and then he brought her to Adam, the man, the first wedding. I love that he brought her to Adam. It, it was, you know, it, if you travel around the world, you know that the, the father gets to negotiate for their daughters. They get to choose. And so the, and so the, the, the son's parents go looking for a wife. And I love that because now that I have a daughter, you know, yeah, come and negotiate with me, man. You're not gonna, you're not gonna get very far, you know, because <laughs> I know you. You know, I was, I was once you. You know, I, I know you, man. You ain't getting in, you know. But I love that. So he brings the woman to the man. You know, um, I, I love weddings. I really do. I, I love doing. I'm, I'm gonna be doing. Uh, several weddings this summer. Uh, the first one that's coming up is John Minor. John Minor and Summer, they're getting married. He's the worship leader uh, last week. Uh, and so in 48 days. So we're looking, we're excited about that. My wife, when we do weddings or we go to weddings, she says, Bon, don't look at the bride. I'm like, what? The bride is the most spectacular sight on planet Earth at that time. She goes, no, no, no. Look at the groom. You will be blessed if you just look at the groom. The groom is ugly. <laughs> I want to look at this beautiful sight coming down. She goes, no, no, no. Watch, watch. My wife says, watch the groom, Vaughn. And so I've been doing that ever since. And what a blessing. I'll film it if I can get them. I hold them, I hold them to it. You know, I, I got evidence against them, the little whiners. <laughs> you ready, John? You better hold up there, man. <laughs> Listen to what Adam says now in verse 23. The man said, this is now bones of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman 
for she was taken out of man. Bones of my bones, and it says flesh of my flesh. We are one now. We're made in unity. And it says this in verse 24, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Listen, it isn't that they need to run away from mom and dad's, you know, lot and home and all that. You know, some may, some, some may, you know, when I'm doing counseling, we, we, we cover that, uh, you know, where the in-laws become the outlaws. You know, we say, hey, you might have to run. But anyways, but that's not what it's talking about. What it's saying there, it's saying, listen, that when you're making a decision, you don't have to make it with your whole family because your whole family is now just your wife and you. And if you have kids, it's between you guys. You're always thinking of your wife and the wife's thinking of her husband. You don't make decisions based on mom and dad anymore. Your decision is a new unit. You are made one. I love that in verse 24. And they will become one flesh. The beauty of having a relationship when they go into each other there is these genetic codes and this DNA that's being passed from one to the other. So powerful and so unique that they truly become one. And so much is the case that Jesus says when there's infidelity, when there's cheating going on, there's a reason for divorce. That's how tight the oneness is. It becomes not only genetically one, but the soul becomes one. And that's why even it tells us to teach our young people to don't give yourself freely to anyone. Wait to that day. Because there's a oneness that's becoming. And it's uniting for a lifetime. And it's glorious. Glorious. I, I, this chapter is amazing. It says there, then the man and the wife were both naked, uh, both naked, and they felt no shame. It's because they had the righteousness of God. They were made in the image of God, and they were clothed with righteousness, purity. That will change next chapter, and there's a lot of changes coming next chapter. But for this particular chapter, they were made whole, pure, holy, set apart, amazing. Amen. Listen, when we become Christians, we become more and more like the image of Christ and we're, we, we become better husbands and better wives. You know? And so when we're living out God's word, it begins to change in our relationship. Though it's marred by sin and though we're self-centered and selfish, God begins to change that in our hearts towards one another. This morning, we're going to take communion. Communion is fellowship. It's oneness with Jesus. Listen, Jesus made marriage very clear. He said, this is the reason why I made marriage. It's the closest relationship that you will have here on earth that will show my relationship with you in heaven. That's what he says in Ephesians chapter 5. He says, Paul says, it's a great mystery marriage. And he says there that men ought to love their wives as Christ loved the church. What did Christ do for the church? He died for the church. He gave everything. 
the best interests of Jesus, he did it all. He had our best interests in mind. So men, do you have your wife's best interests? Every decision is based on the best interests of your wife. And as Christ died for the church, we die for our wives. And I don't mean death. It feels like it sometimes. <laughs> I remember we were in Africa and uh, we were in a, a tukul, a hut. And it was early in the morning. I want, you had to go from my tukul to another tukul to eat breakfast. And then I would go teach class. And so I was, I was sneaking out the door, you know. And it's this thing made out of bamboo. <laughs> Honey, she's, you know, she's supposed to be asleep. Honey, can you bring me some hot water? Oh, I didn't want to do that. Die to yourself, Bond. Die to the flesh. Go bring her some hot water. That comes in a different way. So I go all the way to the cafeteria. And I mean all the way to the cafeteria. I get the hot water. I trip on the stone. Hot water falls on my ass. And I'm dying to my flesh. I open the door and I put it there. I go, there you go, hon. Oh, thank you. Die to my flesh. There's different ways of dying. But you give up yourself for your wife. Now, Jesus tells the wife, like, you respect me. If I tell you to do something, you do it. That's how our relationship, right? This is Jesus speaking to you women, you know. And you say, yeah, I'll do whatever you ask, Jesus. He goes, good. Then respect your husband the same way. Now, of course, why wouldn't you respect your husband if he, was always had, if he always had your best interest in mind? And Jesus says, that whole picture there is a picture of my relationship with you, that oneness. And I don't know about men, you men, but I don't like to be called the bride. I go, well, you call me the bride. I don't want to call the bride. He says, no, 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 you missed the point, Vaughn. You missed the point. The point is, it's the greatest relationship on earth. And it shows us our relationship in heaven. And that's why I'm the groom and you're the bride. I'm like, oh, I get it. It's the oneness. It's the love. It's the giving up of all that you had to give up, Jesus, for me. I understand it. And Jesus says, now, on earth, while you're waiting for me, fellowship with me. And you do that with getting together with one another and also taking communion. So I pray that you would look at that totally different now. Amen? Communion has three really elements to it. You know, it, not the elements of the bread and, and the juice that's in there. And that those are two elements that are the important elements that Christ asked for. But I'm talking about three different really truths. One is it speaks of our past. It speaks to our present and it speaks to the future. First Corinthians 11 lays it out like this. In the past, remember what I did for you on the cross. I paid for you on the cross. My body was ripped apart for you, paying your sins. And then don't ever forget that. And I won't forget that, Jesus. Second is presently. He says, in the present, know that you're a sinner and repent. Turn away from your behavioral problems. Turn to me. You may be 
hiding it out from others, but you're not hiding it from me, so repent of them right now, presently. Turn from your sins and turn to me. And thirdly, remember the future that I'm coming back for you as the groom comes for his bride. Amen. Lord Jesus, we'll never forget what you did for us at Calvary, Lord. Your divine sacrifice for us paid for all our sins because you are divine, you're God. And we thank you for that. And we'll never forget that day, Lord. We look back at it and say, what a horrible day. The beating, the scourging, the past is is very present in our mind. And we just want to let you know, Jesus, we'll never forget that day. And the presence, we're, we're, we recognize, Lord, that we're sinners. We recognize we're knuckleheads and we blow it. Please forgive us now, Lord. If you've never given your life to Jesus, you can do that right now and say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Help me to, to turn away from them now. I repent. Show me, Jesus, how to live for you and to obey you. And Lord, regarding the future, we look for the day when you come back. And Lord, and I know that you're preparing us as a spotless bride. And every day you're changing us to mimic more of your word that we might be that perfect bride when we come to you face to face. And we look for that day and we say thank you. Lord Jesus, what a special time that you allowed us to come to have communion and partake in remembrance of you. And we'll never forget that, Lord, and we'll do that right now. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.